Today's Plugged In podcast is sponsored by Volvo. Get ready to recharge this summer with Volvo's first pure electric SUV. The XC40 Recharge has no tailpipe emissions yet delivers more than 400 horsepower and up to 335 kilometers on a single charge. And with integrated Google OS, stay connected on any journey, even without your phone. Enjoy an SUV designed for you and the world we share. Visit volvocars.ca to learn more. Welcome to the latest episode of Plugged In, a post-media podcast taking you down Canada's electric vehicle highway. I'm your host, Andrew McCready. As long as there have been motor cars, there has been motor racing. There's just something in human DNA that wants to see who can go fastest. And for more than a century, all manner of motorsport has been contested. From quarter-mile drag races to thousand-kilometer rallies, and lots in between. For the past seven years, some of the world's top open-wheel racers have strapped into electric vehicles to contest the ABB FIA Formula E World Championship, a global series that has a number of unique attributes, including holding the majority of its races on temporary street circuits in major cities. It is the first single-seater racing series outside of Formula One to be given world championship status by the FIA, the Fédération Internationale de l'Automobile. It also features the involvement of six major auto manufacturers, Audi, BMW, Jaguar, Mercedes-Benz, Nissan, and Porsche. While it is true that all of these brands have storied racing histories, a major motivation for their involvement in Formula E is as research and development for their growing number of road-going EVs. My guest today is James Barkley, who has served as Jaguar's Formula E team director since the British Mark entered the series in 2016. He has had a unique pit lane perspective as the series has flourished and has keen insights into how the ever-evolving EV powertrain technology in the race cars has migrated into Jaguar and Land Rover road vehicles. Thanks for joining us today, James. It's great to be with you, Andrew. Before we get to all the wonders of Jaguar racing and Formula E, I would like to ask you, what is the first electric vehicle you ever drove? And what were your impressions of it at the time? Yeah, that, that's actually a really good question. So the first actually uh, all-electric vehicle was actually the Jaguar I-Pace. Okay. Um, so our first all-electric car, which obviously went on to achieve uh, a number of accolades around the world, including World Car of the Year, German Car of the Year, UK Car of the Year. So a fantastic kind of arguably Jaguar's most successful you know, most awarded car um, from that perspective. So yeah, really fortunate. You obviously have a great history with great British automobiles. You have worked for other companies before this, Bentley, Lotus. You're obviously a car guy. So what struck you about driving an electric car? Yeah, I think that's a really good question, actually. And my overriding uh, experience the first time I drove uh, you know, the Jaguar I-Pace, our first electric car, was simply the ease of the driving experience and just how effortless the performance it is. You know, you can almost equate it a bit like to, to driving a car with 
you know, a significant amount of torque. So you think of, you know, iconic cars like Bentleys with huge amount of torque. And it really is not dissimilar to, you know, a big supercharged V8, um, uh, that kind of effortless torque. That's the first thing that immediately strikes you, which actually makes it a really relaxing driving experience because you're not having to, you know, shift down a gear to, to get that performance. It's just there on instant demand. The other side of it is obviously the noise side because there is no noise. It's actually incredibly civilized. So when you're driving, it's actually a very relaxing experience because you, you don't necessarily realize that it's fantastic to have the noise of a of a high revving engine, don't get me wrong, there's a time and a place, but actually for everyday driving, um, the civility of the peace and quiet is actually a much more relaxing driving experience. So that was those are the two main things I would say immediately stood out to me um, and actually really surprising. And then the third maybe small piece is just how into the, if you like, regen capability. So you start to drive accordingly, you're noticing how how you drive, how you how you decelerate, you use what we call one pedal driving where you don't actually use the brake because you literally are lifting off the accelerator using the car's regen capability to de decelerate and, and manage your progress so it's uh, it's actually a really enjoyable driving experience and something which from my point of view i think is very clearly the future yeah and, and not just for road going cars as the series that you're involved in has proven i think formula e has been a, a success right from the beginning Jaguar was the first luxury manufacturer to sign up for the championship. Why did the company get involved? Yeah, so it was a it was a really kind of uh, amazing kind of process to be part of, and fundamentally, um, there was a perfect time and a perfect place for us to, to to come back to the sport, and you know that was to come back and to to lead rather than follow. So to be the first, as you say, luxury manufacturer to to enter Formula E, and and that was very the reason for that was very clear for us. It was clear the future was going all electric, and um, we wanted to be at the forefront of that. You know, we we looked for a reasonably long period of time about returning to, to, to motorsport. Obviously, Jaguar has a long and illustrious history in the sport, um, but we had to be for the right reason, not just for any reason. And so we we did actually a big uh, review of the sport, what categories could we come into, and, and Formula E was on that list. Uh, and as we progressed with that that discussion and that evaluation, it became so clear that because the future was electric and, and was clearly kind of moving towards electrification, because um, the speed at which the electrification was coming onto the radar, um, and in a market like the United Kingdom, where from 2030, you can't produce combustion engine cars anymore, it became very clear that we should lead rather than follow. We should be the first uh, company to really take a, a leap into the, into the arena of electric racing and to position ourselves really for the future, uh, to have Jaguar back in the sport with the same philosophy that it's always had, which has been about proving technology on the racetrack to bring it to our customers. And there's some great examples in the history. Probably our most famous one we talk about quite often is the disc brake. We were the first manufacturer to use a disc brake. We won Le Mans with that technology, and it's on every production car that we all drive now. So from that point of view, that philosophy remains today, and the the relevance of the technology was really important to us. And that's why we chose Formally. And I mean, I, there are many other factors, but that was the predominant reason uh, behind uh, taking that, what appeared at the time, a bold leap uh, to be the first manufacturer to commit to Formula E, but history has shown it was the right move. Certainly from a, from a winning perspective, as you mentioned, I mean, Jaguar has a, has a long history of, of racing, but this was something surprising that I found that um, in 2019, when your team won the Rome E-Prix, that was Jaguar's first international motorsport victory since 1991. That was a great accomplishment. I mean, obviously the team was in Formula One, I think 2000. One two thousand four, 
But to be at the top of the podium uh, just a couple of years in must have been very satisfying for the team and for the, the patrons of Jaguar, who obviously have invested money and time in this enterprise. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, myself and everyone in the team, you know, we, we have a, we feel a, a huge sense of responsibility. We are custodians of this incredible brand uh, and uh, we want to, we're passionate about writing the next chapter of success. So, you know, we want to hand over the baton in even better shape than we than we picked it up. And, and that's something which, you know, we all take on board and, and all feel, like I said, really passionate about. So, yeah, it was, it's been, a, it's been an incredible journey so far. We started out with literally a, a blank sheet of, uh, of, of, of paper we had approval to come back into the sport but we didn't have a motorsport division uh we had been out of racing for a number of years as you rightly say and uh and there was no existing structure um as other manufacturers have we weren't shifting from one race program to another so that process uh took time to establish a team um build a, a really kind of capable high performing team and really start to build consistency. And, and every year we've taken a step forward. So it was fantastic, as you say, in 2019 to have made year on year improvements to be at a position where we could win our first race. And and we've kind of continued to improve from there. So the, the journey is clearly um, uh, ongoing and um, we've got we've got lots of things we want to do better and improve. And we we obviously have more races to win, more podiums to get and and, and obviously championships you really want to aim to to achieve in the future. One of the benefits for teams entering F1 is you don't have to start from scratch. The carbon fiber chassis, the battery are common components for all 12 teams. So it's it's the electric powertrain that you can play with, that you can advance, that you can innovate with. You have a great perspective because you've been with this series since 2016, since Jaguar started. Are those advancements race to race? Are they year to year? Are they season to season? With Formula One cars, you can almost dial into what the advancements are either aerodynamic or otherwise but formula e it seems a little the nuance seems a lot smaller yes yeah, so, so this is actually a really good good example of uh you know, because as you said the cars on the surface look the same and, and that's done for good reason fundamentally because we want to focus the investment that we spend into the what drives the car the powertrain and that's the that's the the focus because that's where the most relevant technology is going to be developed you know formula e and the fia um, took the decision to say rather than open aerodynamics where we could spend literally uh, you know uh, tens of millions nearly hundreds of millions if you could go to formula one on aerodynamics activities um, that formally didn't want to go down that road um, and actually want to focus the investment on on enhancing developing and improving the powertrain technology because that is what ultimately kind of benefits consumers uh, it, you know um, another another front wing uh, elements isn't going to change the performance of your production car. It's it's what you do with the powertrain. So that's the kind of the the approach the regulations have had. But then underneath the skin of the of the common chassis, the battery and and, and the bodywork is is ultimately very different cars. Um, and that's where where the the technology is developed. So when we talk about powertrain, what we what we mean basically is everything that drives the car forward. It's the the electric motor. It's the inverter that converts the battery energy to allow the motor to drive the power unit. Um, you also then have um, the motor generator unit, which is called the motor generator unit because it not only delivers power, but it also regenerates um, the power as well back into the battery. So that's one of the unique things about electric racing cars is we actually start the race with not enough uh, 
not enough charge to finish the race and we have to put energy back into the battery as we race which is a really kind of cool cool element but then in addition it's more it's the it's the what we call the the, the casing so what, what you fit the powertrain into it's the suspension um it's all the rear suspension um system we develop um, and then really at the heart of it all is the brain of the operation it's the control you the motor control unit and it's the software that drives that which is to your your point there we we are literally developing the software race to race um, and the hardware uh, formerly up until this season allowed you to basically introduce a new powertrain every year and to give you a kind of context a quantum that's about a thousand components for a new powertrain every year and we're we've developed in five seasons five new powertrains and so five new cars in essence from our point of view so five five new variants of the jaguar varying from jaguar I type one to jaguar I type five which we're racing this season now so that's literally a new car every with a development period of just over sort of 20 22 month period that kind of that kind of development timeline a significant amount of work and in that time frame the cars have not only got faster the efficiency has got better and the weight is reduced and the center of gravity is reduced and and all of that is really exciting relevant technology learning um, but then the cool thing and the difference with electric cars it's a bit like your mobile phone we can literally evolve the, te- the, the performance race to race by improving the software so we we work the drivers work closely when they're not in the race car on race weekends they're back at base in the driver in the loop simulators which allow us to basically evolve the software so by the time we come to the next race we can take another step forward in performance so it's a really cool arena for for developing this technology and and there's some great parallels to the production world in fact some of our software approaches that we've taken and the learnings we've had informally have gone on directly to our consumer cars so a good example is the jaguar i-pace in the 21 model year car we actually introduced a 20 kilometer range increase from the learnings in formula e which is is super exciting that's the equivalent i guess of the disc brakes isn't it it's that whole idea of of technology what wins on what wins on a sunday will sell on a monday essentially Exactly. And that's a really important part for us. We really want to bring consumer benefit from our race program uh, to our customers. Um, and, and yeah, not only is it that element, it's the, it's the, the broader sustainability benefit of, of showcasing the, the benefits of electric vehicles in, in city centers around the world. So absolutely right. So, so next year you'll have the Gen, I, I, don't, I don't know if it will be called the Gen 3 race car, but currently the Gen 2 race car is the one you have. Next year, you're going to have a new car is that an aerodynamic? I mean, what are the changes going to be? I mean, it'll obviously look different, but I mean, from your point of view, you're still dealing just with the powertrain. What kind of improvements do you think the new car will have in terms of racing? Yeah, exactly. So, so maybe just a, a quick kind of uh, step back to explain the different generations. So we had generation one of Formula E, which basically lasted from season one to season four. And then we had generation Two, which is basically season five through to season eight. So we're currently in season seven. So we have we have one more year of the generation two car. And, and just very quickly, generation one was actually basically we had two cars per driver to finish the race. Right. Generation two, we then had battery technology allowed us to complete a full race distance uh, with a single car. So the battery technology moved on and, and the powertrains were much more efficient, which meant that you can now do the same race distance, but importantly, with more powerful motors and importantly, the cars going faster. So that was generation two and that's what we raced for one more season after this year 
But then, as you say, end of next year, so at the end of next year, we go into what we call season nine, and that will be the Generation 3 era. And fundamentally, um, Generation 3 will be firstly lighter, and the cars will go from 903 kilos down to 790 kilograms is the target weight. Um, we'll go from a maximum power of 250 kilowatts that we have right now in qualifying up to 350 kilowatts wow. in Generation 3, so much more powerful in terms, yeah. Yeah, in terms of performance. And we introduce from pure rear-wheel drive, we introduce regen onto the front axle so we we allow ourselves to put energy back into the battery by using the front axle to generate energy um, and so fundamentally that the car is going to be significantly faster we're talking kind of acceleration not not dissimilar to to formula one and, and kind of indy car performance and you, you're getting a really fast car in terms of certain phases of acceleration um uh, the you know what we are expecting is a car to be a little bit more compact actually so a little bit smaller dimensions um to enable even better racing on the street circuits we race on um but the cars are quite a handful now in qualifying so in generation three in qualifying mode the cars are going to be a really challenging car to drive really exciting you'll see the drivers as you see now having their work cut out and really having to to make the difference so it's something which is very exciting we haven't seen the car yet andrew so we don't get to see the car um for for a little while yet um and it'll be over the next few months we'll as manufacturers will start to see the car we've got the first technical information from the fia now and we're starting to to develop our our powertrains already for for, for that car and they'll slowly start to unveil the the look of the car the aerodynamics and then we'll obviously continue our development so it's an exciting time and we we start testing those cars on track from about midway through next year we start our our on-track development everything before that will be done on our rigs and uh, getting ourselves ready for for then receiving our cars and, and starting to test on track next year so it's a tight timeline it's a big development timeline as well to go to a you know fundamentally if you think about it we have to take a lot of weight out of the powertrain the components and that's a big development exercise as well as stepping up in the power so it's an exciting time it's a challenging time for the engineers but but we relish that opportunity Obviously, your two drivers, Mitch Evans and Sam Bird, and anyone who's raced in Formula E didn't grow up racing electric vehicles, right? Mm -hmm. it, it, it's a different thing. So for them, what is the toughest, like, what's the learning curve for, the, for these great open wheel racers to figure out about Formula E cars? Yeah, so I think the biggest challenge is, you know, most racing drivers at this level all have the inherent ability to be very fast over a lap. You know, that's how they've got to this level. They, they're very, they're very capable. They're very fast. What, what we do see in Formula E, though, is um, it is a formula which is really makes the drivers that have the ability to multitask and deal with um, with pressure um, at the highest level and the ability to adapt. The, those drivers who can deal with the, the amount of workload they have to do in the car, talking to the engineers, feeding back information and adapting because every circuit is different. The grip levels are different. We don't have a consistent tarmac, you know, across across all the venues we race at. You know, we'll have concrete in Berlin. We'll have literally road surfaces in Rome um, with, with you know, pedestrian crossings. We have tram lines in the past. Um, so you have to really adapt. And, and what we do see is incredibly good drivers who just simply haven't necessarily grasped the formula and really world-class drivers. And you've had others which have. And it really comes down to that ability to multitask and to adapt. And, and that is that is a secret to, to, to Formula E. And, and also it, it punishes errors like no other formula. You know, in another formula, if you run half a foot wide and you drop a, a wheel onto the grass, 
you get away with it. In Formula E, we have walls at every circuit we race at, you know, and those walls punish you. So um, that is really kind of the the, the challenge that, that 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 I see, and we talk to the drivers you say about, it. and and um, you know, the rules and the regulations mean that we don't have a lot of live telemetry to the cars on purpose. You know, the, the FIA want us to have to put the driver under pressure because under pressure means you have mistakes. You know, it's a bit like in the days of Formula One when you had to manually change gear, right? You didn't have a paddle shift, you, you saw missed, missed gear changes, and that created overtaking opportunity so it's not a dissimilar approach where they, they've tried to kind of keep some of the the information away from us and the engineers and the drivers to let, make sure the drivers are having to relay that information to tune the car with the tools they have um and uh, and, and ultimately that's how you see the best drivers and the best teams kind of getting the results i've watched f1 all my life and i have to say the monaco race this year in formula e if that was an f1 race that would have they would have talked about they'd still be talking about it and would be talking about it for 100 years. I mean that last yeah, lap in that last lap in Monaco was un- incredible. Yeah, six six overtakes for the lead. I mean it was phenomenal, yeah. as you say, um, absolutely phenomenal. And then to you know it was it was it was. I think we I can we I can step back and as a team we can step back and say um, we were proud to be part of that race. I'm not going to lie and say that it still hurts today that we lost the the, you know, the lead on with six corners to go. But um, but you know that is Formula E. It's such a challenging formula. It's so exciting. Uh, and the racing is phenomenal. So uh, yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed it. For us, you know, that, that's that's a trademark Formula E event. That's what's exciting about this championship. Yeah. So this might be simplistic, but I mean, just talking finally, just getting back to the drivers and things. So racing series seem to fall into two categories. Again, I'm being simplistic. Where where perhaps Formula One could be say it's about technology, it's about the car. With apologies to Lewis Hamilton. The other, like Formula Two, where the cars are pretty much all the same is more about the driver, a real test of the driver because they're all in kind of equal equipment. Where do you think Formula E fits into that? I think it's a real blend of the two, if I'm honest. You know, what we see is um, um, we have it, the technology at the heart of it is absolutely kind of key. And you see different teams performing well at different, you know, different times, different circuits. But at the heart of it, the regulations mean a lot of the emphasis is still on the driver. Um, so, you know, I'm using Formula 1 as an example. There's a huge amount of work that's done for the driver behind the scenes that the driver doesn't even know is happening um, or is very kind of is very kind of automated. Whereas informally, you know, the driver has to do that. The teams have to do that um, remotely and, and, you know, work with the driver to to, to before they get into the race, have the best race car, and the driver has to kind of relay and work on that, that you know, themselves. So I think it's a real combination of the two. You have this cutting-edge technology formula that is is really kind of showcasing manufacturer's capability. But the regulations mean that um, a large proportion of that performance, once the driver's strapped into the cockpit and we send them on the way, they, they have to really deliver. And, you know, formally, as you mean, we have, we have literally 24 drivers fully professional no one brings any budget to race informally everyone is hired you know because of their ability and that is unique i can't think of any other category in motorsport where that's the case now and um yeah so i think it's a real combination of what you see informally is the best drivers in the best cars winning on the best day but it you know that changes race to race there isn't a consistent form book yes you'll see three this season so far three or four teams have been at the sharp end including ourselves but, you know, week in, week out, you, it's not the same team. And actually, there's some races we'll go to where, you know, we simply know getting points that day will be the best we can do. And actually, it's judging us over the course of the season. And that's what's exciting for fans. It's not predictable. But at the end, you know, the best driver, the best team should win. Well, thanks very much for joining us today, James. Thanks so much, Andrew. It's been great to join you and, um, and great to speak again. That's James Barkley, team director of Jaguar Formula E Racing. 
I first met James at the Montreal Formula E race weekend in 2017, and again at the New York City races in 2018 and 2019. I was struck on all three occasions by his friendly manner, his keen love of racing, and his passion for the Jaguar team. He's clearly a great ambassador for the brand and for Formula E, but he's also a real competitor, as is evident any time the camera catches him in the Jaguar pit during a race. As I've been reporting on Driving.ca and in post-media newspapers over the past month, it looks like Formula E will return to Canada next summer with the Vancouver E-Prix. The official announcement is expected next month when the FIA reveals the 2021-22 race schedule. I came away from my first taste of Formula E four years ago in Montreal thoroughly impressed. The quality of racing was excellent, the atmosphere during the two-race weekend was exceptional, and the family-friendly aspect of Formula E was really something to see. It is affordable, and earplugs aren't even required. I encourage anyone who loves racing to check out a Formula E race in the future. That's it for this episode. Much thanks to my guest James Barkley, producer extraordinaire Darm McWana, and you for joining me on another electrifying journey down the EV highway. We always welcome your comments and criticisms via email at pluggedin at postmedia.com. For your dose of all things automotive, be sure to check out driving.ca, where you'll find the best in breaking news, videos, and reviews. Check out the site's comparison tool for head-to-head shopping and sign up for the Blind Spot newsletter, delivered to your inbox every Saturday morning and featuring a roundup of the past week's most important and most entertaining automotive news. And be sure to subscribe to Plugged In wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. That way you'll never miss an episode and you'll also be able to listen to all the episodes from seasons one, two, and three.